0: welcome to this very special episode of Still Watching GuanaVision. I'm Vanity Fair, senior writer Joanna Robinson.
1: And I am Anthony Bresnick, special correspondent from Los Angeles. A very special episode, Joanna. Look at look at it's us. It's
0: true. It's true. A very special episode of our very own. <laughs> uh, speaking should, of which, I mean, should, that
1: <laughs> Should we that's append like one of those like, uh, you know, the more you know kind of things at the very end? <laughs> like, remember how like G.I. <laughs> Joe... Yeah. You- they couldn't just sell you a toy, they had to give you like a little life lesson like don't set your baby sister on fire for god's sakes. <laughs> do, don't do, do, do. don't um, climb into a stranger's trunk. Get out of there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, this is a special episode we're doing before the finale. Um we solicited some, you know, questions, comments, concerns, theories from folks, uh, mostly Uh, Based on a tweet I wrote, we got so much email. (laughs) Oh, my gosh, you guys. Thank you, guys. I love
1: hearing the responses and everything and hearing that people and their kids have theories. I really... (laughs) enjoy that that's really we got wonderful so many emails from
0: kids it makes me mm-hmm. really happy so yeah we got a ton of emails obviously we cannot get to all of them and i'm really sorry about this it's really painful that i can't answer every single email so thank you for sending every single email they're all great we've we've collected um things that we think we can give some sort of uh, informative answer to uh it is no mark of quality of your uh email but um yeah, so, so we just wanted to do one last hurrah before the finale, before we have the answers, presumably, to some of these questions. And before we get into that, though, I want to really quickly say something, which is that one of the questions we got a bunch, uh, from people is, what are we doing next, right? Are we covering Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which mm-hmm. is going to start, um, I think there's like a, a one week gap, and then it's going to start on Disney Plus, uh, the following, um, Thursday, midnight Pacific time. Um, uh, the answer is we do not know exactly what we're doing next, n- neither on Still Watching nor in, in general. Uh, what, <laughs> what a mood for 2021. But um, <laughs> the, the, the Magic 8-Ball answer, it- answer
1: would be, cl- answer Cloudy, <laughs> ask again later. <laughs>
0: But, but Anthony and I do want – like, you know, we've seen – we we saw this when we did The Mandalorian. We're seeing it when we're doing this show. We've seen a big response to this, like, thing that we do, that we've done our whole careers, which is, like, try to talk about nerdy stuff in a way that feels friendly to people who maybe haven't spent uh, all day with their nose, uh, you know, down a book. So uh, – and is fun for people who have spent their uh, day with their nose down a book. So, um if you want to see I – guess, I guess I'll guess i say this. Uh, you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com uh, and let us know what you would want. Like if, if you want more of this kind of stuff from Anthony and me. Tell us what you would want us to do. Do you want a podcast? Do you want a video? Like, do you want us to perform it on the street? Like, what do you, what do you want from us? Um, <laughs> Anthony, do you have anything to add to that? No
1: miming. We're not going to do any miming <laughs> for
0: you.
1: We're not going to be, uh, you know, the the robot on the corner that you put a coin in our hat, but we will, <laughs> anything pop culture related, you know, we have to be careful, Joanna. We've got, we've got so many questions here. Like, I think uh, it's, it's, uh, um, uh, We've got to choose our next steps wisely because, uh, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff out there to digest. I think the nice thing about this moment in movie and TV history is, is that we're, you know, the creators are giving you stuff that you really need to, uh, think about. And that's fun that it, cause it adds a little extra life beyond just watching it and then moving on is that it's something people care about and think about. And I don't know. I want to. I'm with you in that I want to, uh, focus our efforts on, uh, on helping them, uh, digest those things and understand them. And it's a crazy mixed up world out there, even crazier in the Marvel <laughs> universe. And if we can be your guide through that, that makes us very happy.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's fun. We have fun. Yeah. Um, so let me, let me actually, we're going to start. I was gonna start a small, but actually I've decided to start us big. Go big, um, and I want to float to you my final, like, big brain theory about something we might see in the finale.
1: All right, I'm ready. I'm braced. It's
0: based on a. It's based on a question. Um. All right, I'm gonna send you right now. We're on Skype right now, just to, uh for you guys to have a peek behind the curtain. I'm gonna send you um a uh an image uh, that someone has collected of um Wanda. A preview, maybe of a costume we're gonna see. Right? We saw mm-hmm. this um. We saw this moment in the penultimate episode um, where Wanda sees this figure in the glowing yellow light of the mind vision, right? Uh, the mind stone. And it's the outline of a classic Star- Scarlet Witch figure. And some people have sort of recalibrated the image, uh adjusted the balance so that you can see a bit better that that is definitely Elizabeth Olsen in some kind of new costume. And, you know, they've put it together with some, you know, the the character posters that they released had these little like TV monitors uh, as part of the character posters. So we could see little snippets of costumes and stuff like that there. Uh, and so they put it together with some little snippets of a costume we've not seen before on Wanda. Um, a, a, you know, there's like a, a belt – and uh you know a décolletage I will say the 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 sort of chest plate uh area of it uh and it matches up with what we see in the mind so this is probably a a final costume we were going to see on her in the finale mm-hmm. right could be a reasonable guess but here's my theory based on this costume. If you look closely at the at the at the little snippets that they put in those TV monitors, it's like a, a you know a, a classic maroon color that it's a little bit more maroon than something we've seen on on Wanda before. But what's really interesting to me is this there's this sort of like pebbling texture to it, mm-hmm. um which matches the and has never been something Wanda's worn before. And it matches the kind of pebbling texture on vision's. Uh, costume, as does sort of this, this, uh, breastplate, uh, aspect that's right by her collarbone is similar to what's on Vision's costume. So that, that goes with my theory that perhaps in order to like f- fully come into her powers, which she will need to, to stop something or do something, she's gonna have to reabsorb the vision that she made from her own self, from her own powers. Um, in order to be at full juice. And that's going to be obviously a devastating thing for her to do. But in doing so, she will become WandaVision. Hmm. What do you think?
1: I like that theory. I can see it in the costume. Definitely a similarity there. And uh, I also think thematically it, it, it holds because right. one of the most powerful lines from the whole episode uh, or from the whole season, from the whole series, uh, was Vision saying, what is grief if not love persevering? And like some people have made fun of that line. What's wrong with those people? God, what uh, are you I don't heartless know. <laughs> ghouls? Just enjoy <laughs> something for once.
0: But like <laughs> – I missed that discourse entirely until I saw Chris Miller of Lord & Miller tweeting about it. He's like – He's like, I know people are dunking on this. I was like, Oh, they are? Oh, I'm on the I'm on the right side of Twitter that I did not see people dunking on this, but um I believe it. Happens. I mean it's
1: like right. making some jokes is fine, but like it's actually a beautiful line. although I did like the joke that like, what is grief except some of the letters from Garfield rearranged. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean the memes are funny. You know yeah. the memes can be funny and the line can be resonant. But the, I,
1: the dunking me, me, on me... it I'm not good for. But so thematically <laughs> yeah. what I was gonna say is Yeah um, you know, I think anybody who's lost someone that they love knows that, uh, that cliche of, well, they live inside you. Like, whatever your beliefs are about prior life or an afterlife exactly. or, like, exactly what lies beyond or reincarnation or any of that, like, people are free to believe the things they want to believe. But one thing that is, I think, undeniably true is that part of the resolution of the grieving process is the feeling that you are carrying a part of that person with you. If you think about them all the time, like I have people that I, um, that I love who've been gone a long time and, and, and they're people I think about every day. And I realize that because I think of them every day in so many different circumstances, they really are with me and they really are a part of who I am on a, on an ongoing basis. So that notion of fusing with the person that you miss, um, I think it's very beautiful and I think it's true. It's like that E. E. Cummings poem, you know, I carry your heart. I carry it in my heart. Exactly. And um you know I was
0: thinking of that poem actually when I was coming up with that theory. Um Look at us, can, poetry. Can I, can we, I, we
1: do it for the money.
0: <laughs> can I re- I'm gonna read this email from Rachel, uh that I that I think Helps reinforce exactly what you're talking about, that emotional thematic Mm -hmm. resonance of something like that potentially happening. Rachel uh, writes, I recently lost someone close to me. When I struggled to make sense of it, my therapist told me, no matter what, you will carry them in your heart. This isn't the answer I wanted, of course, but there is truth in it. And last week's episode struck a chord because of it. When creating Westview, Wanda's magic burst out of her chest, not her hands. Mm. It was clear that the yellow strings of vision came directly from her heart. (sighs) Do her powers ever manifest that way in the comics? If not, I think this revelation shows us that Westview Vision is the version that Wanda remembers. He embodies the part that, that she holds dear, sweetly romantic, punny, humor, innocence, decency. This is why he doesn't know about the Avengers or Thanos, because what Wanda treasured were the little moments they shared, like the flashback we saw in last week's episode. At the end, I think Wanda will have to let Vision go while acknowledging he will still be with her, because this version of Vision isn't the one we all knew. He's Wanda's Vision. Rachel.
1: Oh, well, well done, Rachel. You're yeah. making our jobs easy here and a little bit harder because <laughs> now we don't look as good because you came up with a really beautiful way of expressing that. <laughs> but like, I think that was, I think that's very true. Don't you? That's um the, and also I think if you, if you consider that uh Agatha Harkness's big question is how did you do this? Right? Agatha is all about book learning like right her whole thing yeah. the reason she fell out with her coven is uh, as her mother says like you tried to learn things above your age and station right which we <laughs> found such to be such like magic gatekeeping at the time but um but she's book learning she's studying and researching and i think i compared her to salieri in last week's episode <laughs> and um and that was his thing too is how can i know all the mechanics of the creation of symphony and harmony and music. And yet you just do it. Like You just do it intuitively. And I think what Agatha is missing is that she's coming at it from a very clinical, she's coming at magic from a very clinical way of understanding it. And, and uh, Wanda just feels it. She's just a natural. And mm-hmm. literally this magic comes from her heart. And I don't think Agatha, not to say Agatha doesn't, really have a heart or clearly she cares about Senior Scratchy. You know, like <laughs> she just doesn't understand. it. It doesn't come from the fingertips. It doesn't come from the muscle memory or the skills or the knowledge or the books you have. It's something else, something soulful
0: yeah let me let me read a really quickly a companion email um from david about vision's heart um i have i have these two emails labeled as wanda's heart and vision's heart uh david wrote i just wanted to chime in with an observation i had on a rewatch of episode eight it occurs to me that the heart drawn on the calendar from the first episode of the show is probably a callback to the heart that vision drew around his note to wanda with a deed to their new property in westview it was one of the last things wanda saw before creating the hex starting with the 1950s era that the pilot is set in and as the Emotional catalyst for her creating uh, for her creation of the illusion. The heart was probably still haunting her at that point. She may have recontextualized it into a sitcom shenanigan, like the kind she would have enjoyed with her parents as a child in Sokovia, namely the boss is coming to dinner. Rather than let herself remember what it really represented, I might be reaching here, but it's still a devastating possibility to consider. Poor Wanda. So hmm. I yeah. like that too. Vision's heart and Wanda's heart. Vision's heart, uh, I think we saw one uh, – there was, like, another heart on a calendar. We saw two hearts on the calendar and then the heart on the deed. So I do – I just think this idea of, like, uh, to. Qu- I don't know, uh, to quote um, – I think I already used this quote, but to quote Phoebe Waller-Bridge and Fleabag again, this is a love story, right? Like, mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what the – this is a story about grief and a story about love with a bunch of, like, fun Marvel shenanigans and sitcom shenanigans shoved in there. So, um yeah, just thinking about all of that. Um, also,
1: do you want to go Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I also think this is key to the success of the Marvel Cinematic Universe overall. There's so much discussion mm-hmm. about like Marvel and DC as there has been uh, you know, in time, into time immemorial, in right? <laughs> like that uh that the um what makes one thing work, what makes another thing work, who's who's on top in terms of box office or audience connection. And all that aside, I think it's pretty clear to me that uh, One of the things that makes Marvel function so well is that the audience feels deep connection for these characters. What's the secret there, right? What's the secret ingredient that Kevin Feige and his team have come up with? And it's different. And maybe this feeds into another one of our uh, questions on the list. It's different than the other Marvel TV shows that have been created. And again, I'm not mm-hmm. attacking their quality, but Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, the Netflix shows like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and Daredevil. Like, they all, you know, have good things about them. Maybe not Iron Fist, but, like, <laughs> I think... Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, not my favorite one there. But I think um, the thing about the movies and now WandaVision that works is you care about the characters because they have people in their lives that they care about. Like, um, you care about Steve Rogers because he cares so much about Bucky Barnes, right? And that friendship Mm -hmm. makes you feel (laughs) stronger for both of them.
0: That when Mm -hmm. you give
1: characters people they love, uh, the audience loves them in return, And you get a sense of who they are because of what they care about. And um, I think that's been a real strength of the Marvel Universe.
0: And I think that's why one of the main lines that came out of Endgame – I mean, I Am Iron Man was one of them, but I Love You 3000, I think, was even more, right? Yeah. It's about, like, a man's love for his kid. Um, so, yeah, the, you know, the, the email that, that Anthony was alluding to is this one from Hale in Milwaukee who writes, what was the corporate history of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and its blending with the movies? Was this considered success? And is it similar to the way you're talking about WandaVision impacting future movies? So um, just a little bit of history. I, we heard from a bunch of people who are sort of new to the Marvel Universe. They thought Marvel maybe wasn't for them. And WandaVision has kind of hooked them. So we got a bunch of questions about like, where do I go from now? But also people sort of uh, curious about what came before. Because I think there are some people who are trying now to go back and watch all the movies, which is, of course, (laughs) exactly what Disney Plus wants you to do. Um, (laughs) Uh, You've uh, fallen into the trap. (laughs) But then they're like, okay, but then do I have to – go watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. in order to understand what's going on. So the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. thing is is one of the trickier ones because it was the it was the Marvel TV show that tried the hardest to connect um, back to the films. You know, you had characters like Nick Fury or Lady Sif from Soar. Obviously, Agent Coulson's from the movies was central to the show. So they tried to sort of make it interact. And there is, you know, at least one episode where you have to, like, watch the episode in order to, like, understand of Age Ultron. And we should mention that joss whedon who was sort of you know uh, helping to shepherd the mcu at the time uh the show was created by his brother and his sister-in-law so like it was all very in the family but at the same time sorry hopefully this isn't boring marvel tv at that time was was a different division from marvel studios so kevin feige whose name you might have heard us mention runs marvel studios Jeff Loeb was running Marvel TV. And so So Feige's was, name
1: was it on the credits like as an executive producer or something or was it not at all?
0: Possibly, possibly, but so, but so if
1: it was, that just means like, you know, that's more of a salutation than a real in name sign. only. <laughs> yeah. And
0: and and what what we've learned more and more what is true is that there was actually quite a bit of tension between those two divisions in terms of like the MCU, the Marvel movies getting to dictate, you know, for example, let's say the, the Kree, which are characters in Captain Marvel, was a storyline that, um, that, agents should want to do or they also want to do in humans. Like they want to do these various things and the mCU, the Marvel movies, were like, No, you can't do that and you can't do that because we have earmarked that as a potential thing we want to do in the future. So you can't do that and you can't do that. And so it, while there was some overlap, there was also a great deal of tension. What we are in the uh, and then Netflix was almost completely separate. Like they would reference the Battle of New York, but like almost completely separate. We're in a new era now where corporate roles have shifted <laughs> once again i'm thinking of like the 11 and 12 year olds who listen to this and if they care sorry but like the corporate hey, roles kids have shifted. you asked
1: about corporate history <laughs> now
0: sit down <laughs> the corporate roles have shifted so kevin feige is now in charge of marvel television as well uh or at the very least the offerings on disney plus so the way in which these shows overlap with the films is going to be much more in in beautiful harmony because the same person is running uh, these two ships. Does that did I did I do that right, Anthony?
1: I think so. I think you did a great job there. You left off one example though of, that I think mm-hmm. is really illustrates the tension. So mm-hmm. they create this show called Agents of Shield. And what do the, you know, for television, and what right. does the Marvel movie universe do? They destroy S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, as the show is premiering, Captain America and the Winter Soldier comes out that, like, demolishes S.H.I.E.L.D. So it's like, uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess we don't have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. anymore, and then that put those characters kind of on the run, right? Like, they were just sort of, like, now, like, sort of a scattershot thing, because S.H.I.E.L.D. didn't really exist. But, like, if you need an example of, like, the tension between the two divisions, it's like, hey, we just built this sandcastle. And the other team came through and said, (laughs) sandcastles are banned. (laughs) like. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> just drove Yikes. over it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so it's it's very different. Uh I guess is the answer uh now. Um and and sort of someone asked us um here we go, Brooke. Um Brooke is asking cuz you know, there's a ripple effect, right? We got we got an email from someone asking like if we felt duped by how much it it, how much this show is setting up for the rest of the MCU. Jason Ronan and asked like, you know, um, I'd love to hear your thoughts on your evolving perception of WandaVision from quirky one-off to potentially setting up an entire series of multiverse movies, opening the door to the X-Men, springboarding a character that could go toe go, to toe with Captain Marvel, shifting MCU narratives away from the military industrial complex, et cetera. Do you feel happily misled from the beginning? Um, I'm not mad at all about most of the ways in which they're trying to like lift uh onto new and and different projects in the mcu um i i think the show has enough of its own thing going on this this is the balance i think was off in age of ultron where they were trying to do too many offshoots and not enough core story um but i i don't think i could make that um argument about the core story here but we have this email from brooke who's asking With the multiverse, like, presuming that that's what we're going to get in the finale, a multiverse, meaning, like, uh, if you've never listened to the Anthony section of the show before, meaning, like, if you think of the movie Into the Spider-Verse, that's a multiverse, right? You've got different characters from different universes, different realities sort of interacting. With the multiverse, does Marvel lose a finality of death or any catastrophic event, like a Thanos snap? With time travel, if something can be reversed, is there an impact on the story they can tell? Like, are we are we introducing storytelling concepts that diminish the finality of the impact of storytelling in the future? Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Hmm. I do – I don't have any special knowledge about where they're going, but I do think um, they are clearly steering the story into this multiverse thing. And you make a great point that like when anything is possible, nothing matters. So how does this hold together? And I think – if i were to guess again no inside information here but i would guess that part of the story going forward for phase 4 would be sort of straightening out that timeline like in in terms of like stopping anything from being possible because what you don't want in your universe <laughs> is like chaos and mm-hmm you know they call it chaos magic for a reason it's not called super orderly <laughs> magic right like it's right. it's it's like okay it's it's anything is possible multiple versions of you multiple versions of everything up is down black is white the sky is green the blast, grass is blue like i'm going to start singing a dolly parton song soon <laughs> but like it's uh it's i think very much like uh, i think that my guess is the marvel universe will be like okay we've got this branched reality now how do we how do we smooth it down? How do we brush this tangle of wild hair and make it uh, not so chaotic? And that, that I think, it, if you embrace the multiverse, like everything's possible, anything goes, uh, yes, you run into trouble. But I think if you're like, let's catch all these random threads and try to weave them back together, then you've got a phase four.
0: I'm Claire Fallon. it's it's interesting one of our i i don't think i copied this email over but one of the emails was like was there a thanos snap in every multiverse is there an orange orange blue uh you know green vision somewhere out there in the world uh i was just thinking about how someone was talking i forget i i did not check where the interview was but robert downey jr recently said something like never say never um about iron man coming back (laughs) Which is just sort of like, yeah, the multiverse is open. You could have a different multiverse Tony Stark anytime Robert Downey Jr. got bored in his retirement. You know what I mean? Like the options are there. Mm -hmm. So – but what does it mean for the finality of death? Um, I I get – I I sort of famously get a little uh, fussy – if too many deaths are reversed or undone in something not like something like the snap but like you know if too many people come back from the dead i get a little like all right what'd you make me cry for in the first place then <laughs> like you know uh, yeah, if it's not you start stay, to not so. trust the future deaths yeah. right yeah, like, yeah, yeah okay yeah. yeah um okay so uh okay so so speaking of death <laughs> A really quick more morbid thought thought question this one's couple, for you kids people. <laughs> <laughs> well okay yeah no but that's that's a question this is a this is a show on disney plus that's meant to appeal to people of all ages we've seen death before in the mcu um is this the kind of show that needs to end with a death to feel impactful we've seen you know or or is something like the reabsorption of a vision that she created from herself in the first place enough of a like lasting consequence anyway the question we got from a couple people is will <laughs> someone die and here are the players they put on the board vision agatha director hayward billy and tommy uh, which are the kids um and then fiatro uh as a quicksilver uh so i'll go first really quickly and say vision reabsorbed i i'm still on that beat billy and tommy i think we're gonna see them aged up to teens i think we're gonna get some teens uh in this finale And they're gonna, whether or not they're gonna vanish in some way, but I don't think they're gonna die. Pietro's Quicksilver, I think we're keeping Evan Peters. Um, Agatha, we had a lot lot of questions about Agatha continuing, so that's a to be continued. But I should say, even if she dies, Agatha has appeared in so many comics as a ghost um, that that actually could be really fun. Thinking of like, uh, have you ever seen those films, like Topper? You know, like a, like sort of like a fun haunting from Catherine Hahn. I think it could mm-hmm. be really fun. And Hayward, um, I would certainly be happy to see him go. Uh what what do you think, Anthony?
1: I think Hayward in my Deadpool is right at the top. Like <laughs> okay. he's the he's the bad guy that you actually don't like. Like Agatha Agnes is really fun like i don't want her to go even though she's a bad person and she killed that little and she killed what was the what was the dog's name again uh
0: sparky i killed
1: sparky too like she in fact it's made me seek out other katherine hahn movies and tv shows that i haven't watched before because i just enjoy her performance so much in this and uh so I don't want her to go, uh, and, and and nothing against the actor who plays Hayward, but like, you know, he's doing a good job of making him seem like a jerk. So, you know, if comeuppance comes to him, then so be it. At, at, you know, if, if for no other reason than he denied Monica her promotion when she came back from the dead, like, he, um, he's a, he's a mean guy. And I think... He's also duplicitous, and he lies, and he's misled the audience, so we don't trust him or like him. And if somebody has to go, uh, I could see him going. I do agree with you that I think the whole point of this is uh, coming to terms with grief, so I don't think vision makes it out of it in the form that we – originally know him like i don't think it's like oh and he's back right it's about
0: letting go right this is about
1: saying goodbye so i also think that's good because vision as a character and he's one of my son's favorite characters if not Mm -hmm. his absolute favorite character in the marvel cinematic universe but i find him as a character like there's not a lot of places for him to go he's a good guy he's learning about what it means to be human and i think this is one of those lessons right so i don't know like how much more how much further you can push that character i know in the comics he does a, you know he's been around for ages but like at least in terms of this story arc he's he's learned to be he's learned what it means to be human and part of being human is that you're temporary so uh um, yeah you know, yeah like yeah boy, yeah this is a downer i'm sorry kids <laughs> what, a, what a
0: what a data from star trek story to learn um yes yeah well, oh you got- know
1: look <laughs> very similar right we, we
0: got yeah. um well we, we got an email from Catherine asking sort of like what's next for vision um and then she she came up with the idea of like because vision can't exist outside the hex maybe if wanda gave vision all of her mind stone energy like all the Mind Stone energy that she absorbed, uh, but she still had her like base magic. We, we understand that she has like an innate magical power that was in like, you know, then they gave her some Wheaties and now she's like super powered. Right. Um, but if she gave her Mind Stone energy away to vision in some way, um, could that result in a Wanda that is like a, a Wanda and a vision that are less powerful than the versions we had uh in the MCU. The versions that we had in the movies, I've always said, were too overpowered to exist in the movies. So could there be a happy solution at the end of this where we get a version of Vision, maybe like the white Vision, maybe, you know, who doesn't remember Wanda, so she still has to like let go of the Vision she knew or something like that. And a Vision of Wanda and a version of Wanda who is less magically powered. They're balanced. It's like – it's like uh, – Two holes, you take away one, you split the powers between the two of them, and you've got half powered individuals who can maybe coexist aside um, you know <laughs> like uh Falcon <laughs> mm-hmm. who just has um nice mechanical set of wings. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um what do you think of that thought?
1: Yeah, uh, I- I'm trying to digest it all. Like I think I think – I think these characters – one thing we have to remember is that these characters are a little bit – I mentioned temporary in the last thing I said, right? Like in terms of like human beings, our, our lives are temporary. But I also think that um, these characters, when they mean a lot to you, they also have to uh, – they have to have – like you have to feel like they could they could change or say goodbye at any time, you know? Yeah. And that makes them matter a little bit more. Like one of the things with the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, for example, that I noticed as the stories went on is that like they would have these sword fights and they were very uh, orchestrated and choreographed and dazzling. They'd be swinging from ropes and on little high beams and narrow bars. But I was like, hmm, not, not, I know what's going to happen here. Like So it's just, it's just sort of we're just sort of passing time. And it's not that I thought Jack Sparrow was going to get, like, stabbed through the heart and die halfway through the first movie. But there's just, like, a sense, at least, of danger that's absent from the way things are staged. And the way things are staged in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, um, you know, they make three movies, generally. Thor is the one exception, because I feel like they just got that character right, so they're not ready to... Give up that toy yet, but they play right. the way I've described it in some of my past writing is they play rough with their toys. They aren't keeping their toys in the box on the shelf, preserving them in perpetuity. Like they're breaking the arms off and scuffing them and burying them in the mud. Like they're playing with them and making memories with them. And so I don't know if I'm fully answering what you were going for, but I think, you know, change and evolution for the characters. Uh, it involves sometimes ending those characters, and I think, mm-hmm. uh, it ends up changing them, and so therefore they are not exactly who we wound up with, you know, in terms of her, her powers. I do think she has to be deep. You can't have an all powerful character. Again, if everything's possible, nothing matters. That's an old saying, kind yeah. of a cliche. But, um, you have to have, that's one of the problems with Superman, right? Is that he's too powerful, so in movies you could just have him stop whatever, you know, he's going to win. So you have to find ways to like weaken him to create a little bit of tension. So in, in terms of her, I think she's going to progress. She's going to go forward, but will she be the villain in, uh, Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness? Is she, is that appear that vision, <laughs> vision, so to speak that she has, uh, when she's just the peasant girl confronted with the mind stone for the first time, uh, is that... uh
0: You're asking if we're going to get Dark Phoenix in... Yeah, well, basically. sort
1: of. I mean, yeah, she... Is she... um Yeah. She, and I What well, well, I guess what I'm going for, I'm rambling a little, sorry, but, like, I think with somebody like WandaVision, or with Wanda, <laughs> Scarlet Witch, I think if she were to become so powerful that she could stop any incident from happening then that character ceases to be useful as in as a storytelling device if but that's a great villain you know is that she can stop anything? So how do you stop her? How do you bring her back down to earth yeah. and humanize her a little bit? I don't know. Am, am I getting at all at what you were asking? Or no? I mean, unfair? I
0: think, I think, I think everything you're saying is is fine. And there, there are days when I thought maybe that's where they were going. I just do think that there's been too much time spent on empathy for Wanda. To then have her swerve into villainy. Yeah, generally. yeah, I agree with that. But I think like, I, th- uh, I think know, it was a can't... possibility at one point. But I I don't think after after especially after last week this sort of tour through her traumas um, that that is something that they are going to give us. Um, it's certainly the something. The villains done a lot are the ones the comics, who are sympathetic, but, yeah. right?
1: I think the what? best villains are the best villains yeah. are the ones that are a bit sympathetic. And I think we've exhausted the uh, the villain who's like human beings are. Are the disease, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like, uh, we've had that in a bunch of Marvel stories now. And I think, I think finding somebody who maybe is like, I'm pursuing my children through the multiverse. I'm trying to find mm. the kids that I created. Um, and rewatching last week's episode really reminded me, um, that the shows that she watches with her family, you know, there's the Dick Van Dyke show about the walnuts, which I yeah. haven't seen, but apparently that's a dream
0: that they're yeah. having. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
1: which is what the Hex is, right? It's just a dream. It's something she's imagined and created. And then the Brady Bunch episode they're watching, uh, little Cindy Brady. That's the little one's name, right? Cindy? Yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, Marsha, 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 Jan, and uh, Cindy. Uh, you know, somebody's saying to Cindy like that her doll is just stuffing and sawdust and isn't real. Yeah. And all that it's a little on the nose. You know, I, I can't believe we didn't talk about it in the last episode. But, like, like these fake kids that she has are real to her. They're projections of something she believes. And I think you're right. They're going to continue to exist. I don't know if they're going to become teenagers or whether, you know, two lost little boys in the void of the multiverse is a more powerful storytelling device. But I think the story of them and whatever happens to them is going to continue on into other stories. Like, I don't think we're going to get complete resolution Absolutely. Uh,
0: And I think that, um, something that I was, uh, thinking about is, you know, that, that scene in the, um, modern family episode where the milk container keeps glitching. And one of the glitches is like a milk container with like a missing child on the back of it. And I was like, is that a missing child? I mean, that's just like an 80s sort of illusion thing anyway. But like, is that missing child in the milk carton thing? Um, is that just about the boys going missing in this last episode, right? The boys are are missing. Agnes has them somewhere. Or is it about the boys going missing in the future of the of the story? You know what I mean? Yeah. Or is it, or is it just a milk carton? Um, all right. Uh, so let's, let's a little bit a of little foreshadowing
1: into, like, there, a little bit of, uh, could
0: be. I mean, they love, they love sitting that stuff in, and we'll get to one of my favorites, uh, soon. Uh, this email comes from Nile in San Francisco. Um, and Nile writes, I was wondering what you both think would be in a, okay, so let's say Wanda isn't the villain. Uh, I hear what you're saying, that there's a way to do it where it's an empathetic, journey for her that nonetheless is causing too much chaos in the universe that dr strange has to stop do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like i get i i think there is a way they could do that um but let's say it's not let's say something happens like she uses all of her power she solves whatever crisis you know she 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 solves whatever hex related crisis at the end of the finale by letting go by doing whatever so she's left this extraordinary powerful person with probably a bunch of regrets for how her power manifested uh and how it how that impacted this town of new jersey so maybe someone binds her powers you know maybe something whatever and she and she has to go learn from dr strange maybe she's afraid to you ever use them again and so she doesn't want to use her powers at all that's a similar ish story to what we saw with like the lagos thing um in the movies. Um, And so Dr. Strange has to teach her how to use her powers again, but this time like be more control of them or whatever. Like, let's say that that something like that happens. Um, Niall writes in, I was wondering what you both think would be an appropriate consequence or punishment. Although I hate the word for Wanda's actions towards the citizens of Westview. I see this as, I see this as the main dilemma for the writers, especially with people knowing she is said to appear in Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness. Love the show. So what, you know, if she's not a villain, what, I mean losing her kids question mark like what do you, what do you think it?
1: So I think this is a great question. It's a little like yeah, you swallow a little hard when it comes to what punishment does she get? Like um but I think the writers have very cleverly informed us that while Wanda has definitely been disruptive to the citizens of Westview, <laughs> she hasn't done anything that's unforgivable, right? Cause you remember that line where, uh, uh, Pietro says, uh, oh, you know, I kind of wondered where the kids were, right? You just kind of had the kids in a stasis and then they get to go out and play at Halloween, right? Right. Uh, and it's cool how you've kept like couples together and the personalities aren't that much different. So she's not like puppeteering people and having them do things that are unethical or, or evil. She's not really – I mean, she's hurting them, but she's not being cruel, right?
0: She S- thinks she's not. She, she thinks she's thinks doing she's this in a way, but when we've seen people wake up, they've woken up in, a like, a trauma state. Yeah,
1: you know? they're like, Whoa, you know, this hurts. This doesn't feel good. But she's not doing anything, at least in terms of, like, crime and punishment, where you're like, oh, she's got to pay for that, right? I think she – owes these guys an apology for me, forcing them to be part of her like shadow play, but um I think uh I don't know that she'll be so th- like there there are other things like killing the dog that crosses a line at least narratively speaking. <laughs>
0: I did get an email about this, so I'll read it really quickly. Uh, Zach says, we're going to talk about, I think we're going to talk about Agatha next. Zach says, I know some people think Agatha will be a grayish character or somewhat redeemed, but me for me, killing Sparky is Thanos-level villainy. So yeah, you know, uh, Zach's no not interested in redemption arcs for
1: There's always a point in the story where like the villain goes so far that it can't be taken back. you know. And I know like in my own creative writing, I've tried to create scenarios where okay, I need something bad to happen here, but it can't be so bad that it can't be covered up or the person has to, like, go to jail for it, right? They have, to, they have to redeem themselves or atone. Like, I think Wanda has to atone. They've done a good job of setting that up, but I don't think she's done anything that, like, crosses the line where you're like, that's unforgivable and you've lost the audience. Like, they're they no longer on your side. And, like, I think anybody who's written fiction, you know, sometimes experiences this. Sometimes you go too far. You're like, oh, I've got to make the good guy seem really bad in this scene. Yes, and now you've made them <laughs> completely unforgivable. Like, <laughs> we can't we can't go any further on this journey with them. And so, um, I, I think I feel like that's sort of where we are with Agatha. There's a question about whether she's fully a bad guy. I know we have. Uh, I don't know if you want to read it, um, but the remarks about how. Sometimes a therapist can seem like a villain yep, because they're the pushing go you. Next.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this email comes from Sam. And Sam says, keep in mind that WandaVision is supposed to be a study in grief and trauma. Wanda's and the audience perspective of Agatha matches what some in therapy experience early on in the experience. Therapists can seem like they are the villain, questioning your decisions and prodding deep into your life. However, they're really trying to help you, and the pain is a necessary step. This fits well with what occurred in Episode 8, Wanda. The patient was walked through past trauma memories by Agatha, the therapist, who seems like the villain, but is really just trying to save Wanda from a greater force, either herself or Nightmare slash Mephisto. That's from Sam. So I just want to read this quote, this really interesting quote I saw from Jack Schaefer. Jack Schaefer, who's, who's, you know, the showrunner on the show wrote, um, the Black Widow film and, and is just like a, a really interesting figure, I think for the future of Marvel. Um, Jack said this, my kids are really obsessed with good guys and bad guys, Schaefer said of her two preschool-aged children. Sometimes I explain to them, every good guy can be a bad guy, and vice versa. It's complicated, but that's that's sort of lost on them. That's one thing that I think can be explored more in the future. I would hope that there are ever-increasing moves towards the gray and towards complexity. So what that means to me is that Jack is not interest- as interested in – um it was literally the devil or, like, whatever that Jack want, maybe wants to give us a story of these two women who have had their own – you know, because uh, as we mentioned, I think, in last week's episode, like, Agnes's origin story that we see, that's an awful, awful, awful thing to have gone through with your own mother – killing your own mother because your mother was going to kill or at least bind you or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, that's – um and whether we could see these two women who have gone through these awful experiences, like sort of come together and find a place of healing uh, in some way is interesting to me. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, all of that's very interesting and it's, uh, it's true. I like the line about how like the person sometimes, uh, you know, let's say not a villain, but an antagonist in your life can push you to reexamine yourself and, uh, or, uh, or make you feel a little competitive and try to do better. Um, but I think also, um, there you do ultimately come down on a line, right? So even in a gray area, there's darker gray and lighter gray. (laughs) And, uh, I think Agatha, um, and, and this will maybe lead into one of our other questions. Um, you know, somebody said, well, Wanda keeps referring to her as a lifesaver. Will she all end up being a good guy? a uh, Good guy, good person. Because Wanda keeps referring to her as a lifesaver. And I think, although she has elements of her personality and past that are sympathetic, she's ultimately chosen to, um, to do the thing, to cross the lines that Wanda wasn't willing to cross. Like, she's... M- I think much more aware of the harm she's causing and and the way she's exploiting and using people including Wanda. So, um you know, Wanda's a little bit delusional throughout this. She's playing the part and she's trying to go with the flow and she's lying to herself. She's she's uh uh puppeteering herself as much as anybody right like Mm, mm -hmm. it's not like she's she's the one breaking character and going oh what do you want me to say here or no you're supposed to do that she's just going with the flow so i think she's trying to dissociate a little from reality or she has dissociated from reality but agnes hasn't (laughs) you know agnes is aware she knows she's kidnapped these kids she knows she's um what she's doing so i do think she's falls on the spectrum of being malevolent um i don't know what kind of punishment she might get for that um
0: let's let's start saying consequences and stuff
1: consequences yeah Yeah, what consequences she will face for that yeah um but i think she will face some and she's the one consuming the magic so um can we go to the question about the lifesaver
0: i'm on it you keep reading my mind about where i want to go next all right so this one comes from meta uh and meta wrote in and said my 10 year old daughter huge fan of both wandavision and the podcast noticed that in several episodes wanda says agnes you're a lifesaver she suspects (laughs) that this means agnes will in fact one way or another save wanda's life she was desperate for me to email this to you so i went back and i I rewatched all the episodes just as like prep for this Mm -hmm. podcast and for the finale and i clocked all the time so episode one agnes you're a lifesaver episode five agnes you're a lifesaver episode seven you're a lifesaver but also episode one agnes you're so naughty so uh you know no, naughty and a lifesaver i think is sort of summing up um our our uh our agnes assessment here uh so what do you think i mean first of all brilliant observation from uh, a 10 year old listener love it thank you so much for that email it made my made my week um what do you think uh, anthony
1: yeah so shout out to meta's 10 year old daughter uh, <laughs> yeah. for noticing this because yeah. i do think that it's deliberate and I think it's the kind of thing you're meant to catch uh, on a rewatch and go, oh, that's an ironic line, right? Mm-hmm. The same way um Ag- Agatha, Agnes, said, well, when she's in Agnes form, when she first meets Wanda and she goes, charmed,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: You and I have already talked about that. So little lines like that, I think, are meant to create carry a little, uh, some dramatic irony where you're like, oh, once you know what's actually up. they play a different way. So kudos to you for catching that. Um, but I would say, I I mean, maybe, maybe she ends up, you know, doing the right thing, saving her. Like I could see Agnes wanting to stepping in the way and taking the hit. Maybe let's say Hayward finally gets one of his missiles in a position Mm -hmm. where he could destroy Wanda. Mm-hmm. I could see Agnes saying, no, this powerful witch needs to live and sacrificing herself, right? Because her commitment to magic is so absolute that she would want to protect this rare bird, you know?
0: I've and in thinking that way, about this. Yeah.
1: And that way you get consequences for her actions, but also uh, she does something heroic. So maybe, you know, maybe you're right. That could happen, but I was also thinking that line could be read another way. Like, some of these lines, I think, are special because you could turn them, they're like a little cube, right? You could look at Mm -hmm. it in three different dimensions and different angles. Agnes is literally a lifesaver, right? She's nourishing herself off of the magic and life force of the people (laughs) around her. So she's like a lifesaver, like she's like (laughs) a life hoarder. Mm -hmm. She's collecting it. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's what it means, but uh, I would not be surprised if Meta's daughter turns out to be right that at a critical moment, villainous Agnes, who poisoned poor Sparky, redeems herself a little bit by stepping in and I uh, mean, protecting our, our girl Wanda.
0: Sparky feels like... He's not he's real. He's just... He's he's stardust. It's fine. Um, okay. Um, the. Uh, I wanted to – yeah, I, that that makes me want to branch off into another quick question, which is like – which you reminded me of. This idea of what is the Scarlet Witch? So I, I just want to go over this because actually our our, um, our editor, Katie Rich, was like messaging me about this. Katie, Katie's my favorite person to like ask me questions about these nerdy shows because she truly does not have any background on it. So she helps me know what like someone might be thinking. And she was like, why is it special? Like she hadn't clocked that the phrase Scarlet Witch had never been used in the films. And she sort of missed that exchange between Hayward and Wu earlier in the season when they were going like, so does she have any other nicknames? Nope. Not a one, not a single one. We don't call her some sort of colored sorcerer thing. Nope. Nope. Never called her that in the movies. If you go back and check, we haven't. Um And uh so Scarlet Witch and I think, and also Quicksilver, Um both of those names were never used in the films. I, have to wonder if maybe that has to do with the Fox ownership of the characters, because even characters like Black Widow and Hawkeye, they found ways to use those code names in the film. So for mo- for the most part, the- those character code names have been used in the films, but not for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. So so that gives them an opportunity, right, to be like, okay, well, we can make the revelation of the 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 phrase Scarlet Witch mean something else so i was thinking about that old commercial uh old commercial the commercial from c from episode three i think it is which is hydra soak which is um unlock the goddess within and and that um that phrasing had always bothered me because i'm like why did they use the word goddess yeah like i understand why in commercial speak, but they're being so careful with their language here. So why do they use the word goddess? So is the Scarlet Witch, I mean, what seems to me to be clear in this revelation here at the end, when Agnes says you're the Scarlet Witch, it means like you're some sort of, I don't know, creature foretold or elemental thing, you know, some sort of thing. Prophecy. not like, yeah, yeah. prophesied thing. You're not like, Oh, you're Wanda Maximoff, like you're you're a uh, you know like the sorcerer supreme. The way that that mantle is handed down in Doctor Strange, like that's sort of you know what I was thinking of. Yeah, either handed down or or prophesied. You're the chosen one, right? And yeah, and is is that thing a goddess rather than a a witch? Do you know what I mean? There's also another line um where I think Agnes says to Dottie, I mean we're always wondering what Dottie is doing here, Emma Caulfield's character. Mm-hmm. There's a line where she goes, you know, Dottie, your roses are divine. Like like divine the use of divine there makes me wonder like, is <laughs> is uh sorry, I just really like it. Here. I love your line
1: <laughs> readings. Agnes, you're a life you do such a good job, Joanna, with your with your Agatha <laughs> line readings. <laughs>
0: but like but like um the use of divine there i mean divination but also like is there you know is are there goddesses here at play? Is that is that what we're gonna be dealing with? And is Agnes gonna be in service of a of a goddess in some way? I don't know. Just something I'm thinking about.
1: Maybe. I mean, one man's goddess is another man's witch, and I use "man" specifically since that's kind of the. Uh, I do think that's a role we're...
0: that Hayward is serving in all of this. Like, right? I think it is. I think it is interesting that we have these like two powerful women, but that they're, they're like the white guy is the like noxious
1: straight white this guy who's <laughs> corporate... like
0: corporate toolbar um yeah so what is the scarlet witch is something that i'm really interested in learning in 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 understanding what their interpretation in this world what that means you know what i mean so
1: yeah i mean what um, is the difference between a goddess power or a god's power and a and magic right a magic wielder it's sort of similar except you worship one and you fear the other or hate the other so um yeah I, i i like your i like your what you've picked up there
0: um, all right, let's see. So Joe says, um, this is, this is to go back to, I mean, basically, we got a lot of requests from, basically, people don't want Catherine Hahn to leave the MCU. Yeah. So we got a lot of requests from, like, is Agatha going to be a long term villain? That came from Paul. Kat suggested that she should be, like, sort of a Loki style villain, which is, like, a villain we just, like, love to, see them cause mischief. Someone else suggested Loki as an analog for Agatha. Also in this idea of like, Loki is ultimately serving Thanos, right? So even if there is a bigger bad, like even if there is a Mephisto or a nightmare or something like that, it doesn't necessarily mean that that character would take away from Agnes's power in this story or in the universe overall. Um Like, let's say she is serving a nightmare or a Mephisto or something like that. Um Maybe, Knowing that Wanda is a Scarlet Witch will change where her allegiance lies, and that could that could be the lifesaver sort of moment for her. Um, but yeah, but people just want Katherine on to stay around. I'm, I'm once again I'm going to float that ghost theory. I like I kind of like her. I would love her to just like pop up as she does in the comics. And just sort of, like, bedevil uh, Wanda in certain ways. Like, help her, but also make fun of her. Sort of like she does in, in the last week's episode. Um, I think that could be really fun.
1: Yeah. They had a very – well, speaking of ghosts, like, very Ghost of Christmas Past thing going on there, right? Yeah. When they were exploring the different uh, traumas in her life. And and she was like, it's time to go, right? Like, it's, <laughs> like <laughs> move along, Scrooge. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want her to go. She – owns this part like Mm. i could not i i I mean like i guess obviously you could cast somebody else in this role but there's just there's there's something ironic about um catherine han in general like she's very good at at satirizing a, a type of person you know like the sassy sidekick kind of role uh which i think she's been cast in a lot throughout her career um and she, and this sort of is the culmination of that where she's the sassy sidekick the the quirky neighbor but she's secretly like the omnipotent <laughs> warrior goddess who's now trying to understand this i loved her in her big purple flowing um disney's descendants gown like when she's hovering (laughs) in the air and like her hair is all curled like and she's uh she's got like the cool eyeliner on and she's like you're the scarlet witch and like i just loved seeing her at full power and um i want yeah i'd like her to stick around and i think the loki comparison is one i hadn't thought of but yes exactly he was so fun in that part tom hiddleston that you just kind of got to keep him around
0: all right unfortunately I agree i and i and i would I would love that for her, okay, so we unfortunately have to wrap up, and we have so many great emails that we didn't get to. We had a lot of questions about Hayward and sword and white vision um that hopefully we can talk about in our finale episode um really quick one to answer Jamie's question uh Jamie wrote in asking like there's this thing that's says stark industries on the side that's powering Wanda and it's covered in red, glowy stuff. what is that powering that's powering white drink. vision right? White oh, vision, sorry, even, yeah. yeah. That's that's the drone uh, that Wanda threw back at them that was sort of, like, covered in her – smeared in her magic. So, you know, it's a magic-soaked drone. Um, I do think it's worth noting that Hayward at one point is tracking uh, the decay signature of vibranium when he's tracking um, – of uh, Wanda's vision, mm-hmm. and uh, that means that Wanda made Vibranian which is wild. Like, yeah. send her to Wakanda; she can she can do it all. Um, and th- so, here's my last quick question for you, because uh, uh, full disclosure, we we have to go into a meeting. Um, <laughs> how much can we expect from the finale? So, Tanner writes in. I know people are expecting a lot from this finale, final episode, but is there any way it ends with the introduction of speed? Wiccan, a new Vision, a new Quicksilver, Agatha to possibly mentor Wanda, and a possible reveal of Mephisto. Obviously, we're getting Spectron slash Photon with Monica Rambeau. But reading online this week, people are expecting multiple characters from this to exist long term in the MCU. Do you think that is re- realistic in any way, Tanner? What do you think, Anthony?
1: Um, I think some of that obviously is going to happen. I think much more likely to get like Spectrum, uh, Photon. Monica Rambeau, superpower origin story. We've already gotten the origin story, but we'll see her like at full power. Um, Here's my thing about the kids is that they haven't had a life. Like how much time has actually passed over the course of this show? Right. Like a week, a couple of weeks, like five episodes of a sitcom show. Like, so they aren't real. I mean, they're real to her. And I think they are. The point of this is to have them become real. But they're not like, they're like Vision in the sense that they haven't grown up, right? They haven't lived. And so I don't think we're going to get those full-fledged characters uh, in the final episode of WandaVision. I think that's a journey that's going to come later. That's my guess. That's my feeling about it anyway. Um, but as for the other things, yes. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see a showdown, obviously, with the White Vision. We're going to see uh monica rambeau power up we'll get some resolution with agatha agnes who i think i still think she's trying to i think she's interested in this as a way of manifesting someone else
0: i love the idea of like she needs the power to unlock the book Mm -hmm. and then in unlocking the book it will release unleash something yeah whether she intends it to or not and that could be Al Pacino. No, um, it, can be, it can be whatever it is, right? Um, I like the. I love the. I love the theory that Doctor Stephen Strange is in the rabbit. It's one of my favorite theories that I've heard. Um, Senor Scratchy and Stephen Strange have the same initials, as many people have pointed out. Um, so uh, there's that. Uh, I'm just spitballing some last minute uh, theories. Uh, as for the big cameo, is Paul Bettany just talking about himself? Uh, part of me thinks yes, that that might be what we get, but. Part of me is also warming to the uh, increasing buzz around this idea that we're going, we are going to get Patrick Stewart as Professor X, uh, in mm. in the end here to explain something about mutants or multiverses or something. Um, can't do a Dark Phoenix storyline without Professor X. So um, anyway, um, Patrick Stewart said he was uh, he met with Kevin, but that he wasn't going to do any Marvel stuff. But I don't know. I don't know. I'm just never feel it. say feel never it as Robert in Tender my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and as for the boys, uh, one, another repeated line that I noticed along with the lifesaver thing, um, that happened coming up a couple times was about how you can't control kids. Mm. Um, Agnes herself says it a couple times, like kids, you can't control them, like whatever. Um, and Wanda's magic doesn't work on the kids. Um, like she can't get them to stop crying and stuff like that um one is magic doesn't seem to work on the things she's created from her chaos magic like this if we think the stork is something she created uh you know her magic only goes so far on vision her magic doesn't work on the kids um so maybe that that inability to control the kids will be important yeah. like maybe then that means also agnes slash Agatha's magic doesn't work on them like in terms of those ropes that are around their necks right now i don't know we'll see um but uh, i would suggest
1: people temper your expectations about like deep mythological revelations sure and, because i think this final episode is going to be um a conflict it's going to be the battle between wanda and uh sword and that is going to encompass agnes and photon spectrum and vision versus vision maybe um and then i think there's going to be an open ended conclusion that leads us toward other things. You know, there'll yeah. be some resolution with vision and Wanda and her grief. And then I think it's going to be oh, okay, we've opened this book and now unleashed, you know, the multiverse or this monster. And that's going to be dealt with later.
0: I agree. I agree. Mephisto, Al Pacino's Mephisto will return in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. No. Um, I I, I, I do think – and I do think there will be plenty of space for emotional stuff, though. I do think this second – this penultimate episode, since it was all about sort of emotion and trauma and grief, I do think the final will be – finale will be a little bit more action heavy. Like they did a Mm -hmm. lot of the emotional – groundwork here so that they could have room for some classic marvel uh you know (laughs) act three fight stuff which is usually my least favorite part of a marvel movie but we'll see one of the Um, other
1: questions i know we have to wrap up but one of the other questions we had was like is um is uh hayward like is he in maybe an alien Cree or does he have some sort of crazy deep background um and why is he trying to kill wanda that doesn't make sense our question uh i forget who asked it uh in our list there but uh why would he want to kill wanda that doesn't make sense and i think he's clearly setting her up as the uh as his alibi, like, oh, mm-hmm. that she created Vision, that she made Vision. Mm-hmm. He lied about her taking the body. He's been lying about her a lot. And so how do you cover up your lie but to destroy the person you're lying about? She can't really defend herself if she's annihilated. So that's why I think he wants to get rid of her.
0: Yeah, I do think part, part of that, – that came from Charlie. And I think do you think part of Charlie's point was like it was a really silly lie to try to sell to Monica when like so many people at SWORD – saw how that exchange with Wanda actually went. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, that was a r- bold of you, Hayward, to try to sell that lie. But like, you know, that's, he's got ambition and he's got um, a lot of fear after the snap. So that's a, that's a dangerous combination. Um, all right. Anthony Bresnikan, I will talk to you again for the finale, but also a reminder to folks, you can email us stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Richard will be back for the finale discussion, but you can email us questions about the finale. You can also email us what it is you would like Anthony and me. Tell us what to do with our lives. Tell us where to direct <laughs> our we'll chaos magic. <laughs> um. All right. Anything else you want to say, Anthony, until then?
1: I hope everybody enjoys the final episode. It's been yeah. a lot of fun talking about it with you each week. And uh, I'm glad we got to share this because we'd be doing it on the phone otherwise. <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes just, Joanna just and I are talking.
0: Even if your theory doesn't pan out, you can still have a fun time. And that's, that's, the, that's the fun of still watching and WandaVision. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: All right, thanks for all the questions, everybody.
0: Bye. Bye to Bye. everyone, but especially Meta's kid. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>